The following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now here's Chris Katolka with a message from Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 30, Babylon on the Brink. Turn with me, everybody, to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. Babylon on the Brink. Daniel chapter 5, as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you for this time that we have together, a time that we get a chance to open your word freely in a country that lets us open your word freely. Lord, let us never take advantage of the fact that we get an opportunity to gather together, worship together, honor your name together without anybody outside uh, threatening us. And so, Father, we want to praise you for that because we know there are people out there right now who do have that problem, that don't have the freedoms that we have. So Lord, we want to honor you in this time. We give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5, everybody. Babylon on the brink. Uh, Tom just walked you through Nebuchadnezzar's final moments, really, uh, as, the, as the king and ruler of Babylon, and as he's spreading his empire as far as he'll take it, uh, Nebuchadnezzar falls off the scene. And now we're picking up in a new, a new king here. Uh, there's actually been a series of kings between Nebuchadnezzar and where uh, uh, um, uh, Belshazzar uh, picks up here in Daniel chapter 5. But the, the big thing to see is that Daniel is wanting to show us how God is wrapping up his plan for Babylon and how he's used Babylon. And we're going to see some of the, 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 I believe, timeless quality, timeless themes that come out of Daniel chapter 5 of pride. Okay, pride goes before the fall. There's an interesting phrase here. It, when, when you read that in Proverbs 16, 18, uh, the word for fall in Hebrew is nafal. I always remember that because it sounds like to fall is in Hebrew, nafal, okay? But that's not the word used here. It's shever is the word that's used here for fall. Pride, actually, this phrase that's used in Proverbs 16, 18, actually is pride goes before destruction, and it's a phrase that can be used if you look at that and you do a search of the word shever throughout the Old Testament, what you'll find is that word can be used for the fall of a nation, a fall of an empire. Pride goes before the fall. And this is going to set up, really, Daniel chapter 5. Because the pride of Belshazzar, is going to exude so much that you're going to see something. Oftentimes we look at empires and kingdoms and we see it was the economy that collapsed or their army didn't win a battle or they, they had some type of internal struggle as, as, a, as a country or an empire or a nation and it all, sends, it all tends to crumble in on itself or from, from outward. But what you're going to see here in Daniel chapter 5 is I think God says there's something greater than an outside force that was going to bring Babylon to the brink, the end of Babylon. It wasn't economic. It wasn't military. It was pride. Pride. Pride is going to ruin 
Babylon. I want to read for you. You've got in your booklets, I, I wrote something out, and I, and I want to read it to you really quick before we get started about Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 30. And it says this, who's really in control here? The all-important question Daniel answers for those confused Jewish people trying to figure out how to survive under Gentile rule. I want you to think about that for a moment. Prior to exile in 586 and the years before that as well, remember, Jewish people and the, well, the Israelites lived in the nation of Israel for the most part. Now they're struggling in Babylon to maintain an identity, okay? The identity of being Jewish. I, I like to say uh, that anthropologists will often argue that ancient people groups either assimilated into another people group or they were annihilated by another people group. Okay, do you know a Hittite people? I don't know. Do you know Parasites? I don't know any parasites, okay? Do you know any of those biblical names from the past? No, because they either assimilated into another people group or, or, or what? They were annihilated by another people group. But see, Jewish people, the, the, the Jewish people always throw off this, this system that anthropologists have because they are an ancient people that have maintained, not only stayed Jewish, but they've maintained their unique identity throughout the ages. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Part of the story of the Bible and the history of the Jewish people is the constant barrage Satan brings to the Jewish people to either, what, annihilate them or to, what, assimilate them, to water them down so that they can no longer be used by God. And the beauty of what we see in the scriptures, the testimony of God with the Jewish people still being here today, the faithfulness of God, is the fact that they've maintained their identity. Isn't that amazing? And we get to witness that. And not only have they maintained their identity, but they have also been exiled from their land for 2,000 years. And then what? Came back. Statistically uh, improbable. But nothing is improbable for God. And so that's what we're going to see. Here we go. It continues on. They're trying to maintain this identity, identity in, in, uh, in a Gentile rule. In Daniel 5, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. Daniel reemerges as the chief interpreter of divine things. But what he has to say isn't going to sit well with Babylon's quasi-king, Belshazzar. The writing's on the wall. Babylon will fall. And it's not a lack of military strength or uh, unstable economy that threatens the mighty Babylonian empire. Instead, it's a rot that begins in the heart of man, capable of bringing down the mightiest empires from the inside out. The corruption of a prideful king whose arrogant heart gives flesh to the proverb, pride goes before the fall. Daniel's inter interpretation enlightens the arrogant king that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have numbered his days. Daniel chapter 5, look at this. Verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink in front of them. 
Now, why is Belshazzar do this and doing this? And we also have to ask the question, who is Belshazzar? Well, Belshazzar really isn't king. In my little paragra paragraph there that you have in your book, do you see what I called him? I called him a quasi-king. And the reason he's a quasi-king is because the true king of Babylon at this time is Nabonidus. Nabonidus is Belshazzar's father, and he is MIA, okay? He is gone, and he's actually left uh, Belshazzar in some type of semi-control of the capital of Babylon at this time, okay? Uh, archaeologists and, and, and theologians and scholars that study uh, Babylonian history will, uh, see ancient texts that are outside of the Bible. The, a lot of this stuff has been written down, written on these things called cuneiforms, and uh, scholars have been interpreting them. We keep finding cuneiforms, which is interesting. And we can get some history about what's going on during this time. And uh, Nabonidus is actually in a city called Tama, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia right now. And the reason he's in Tama is because he's doing something fascinating. And it has to do with the pride that you're going to see welling up here in a moment as I give a little background. See, in the ancient day, when you would conquer a land, you would take those people that inhabited to that, that, that land, you would take their gods with you, okay? And back in the ancient day, you would literally take their figurines. I won. You see what I'm saying? I have your gods. Your gods could not defeat our gods, so your gods are subject to us, therefore you are subject to us. Do you see what I'm saying? We have your gods. And so what Nabonidus is doing is he was going from city, major city to major city of Babylon, and he was beginning to consolidate these gods because he knew something was on the rise. He knew that outside forces were coming up against Babylon, and he didn't want any of his gods to be taken. So he was going around and collecting all of his gods, and he left Belshazzar in control of Babylon. Now, let me highlight some of this pride here, because as you can see, if, if gods were important, what is Belshazzar doing when he's bringing the utensils and the, and the worship aspects of Jerusalem in front of everybody to be marched and to be drank out of? What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, we defeated the Jewish God. We defeated the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these cups and vessels that were once used for worship I drink out of now. You see what I'm saying? Because did the Israelites have any actual figurines to give to these people? No, because what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could never be summed up in a carving. And so what do they march in front of them? They march the utensils and the things of worship from the temple in front of them. Here's the other aspect of pride. So inside the city walls of Babylon, the people of Babylon hate Belshazzar, and they hate Nabonidus. They want change. They are ready for change. We know this from writings outside the Bible, that the people of Babylon were tired of the incompetent leadership of these two kings. You know, think about it. A king leaves and disappears for many years and leaves his son in charge, and everything starts to fall apart. So within the city walls, the people can't stand the king. Outside the city walls, Cyrus the Great is knocking on the door, okay? 
inside the city walls, their own people can't stand them. That's why it actually says that when Cyrus the Great, the Persian, comes marching into, and the Darius the Mede come marching into Babylon, they practically are welcomed. Do you know why they're welcomed? The people can't stand Belshazzar. The people inside can't stand him, and the people outside want the city. And so what is Belshazzar doing? Instead of fixing issues, what's, he's, what's he doing? Throwing a party for himself and for his lords. Talk about what? Pride. The pride that's welling up. And watch what happens here. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of the God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and concubines drank from them. That was verse 3. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And immediately, here we go, everybody, things begin to change here. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Daniel's very precise in letting us know something. He puts a lampstand next to the wall. Do you know why he does that? To show that everybody should be able to see what's going on. As this hand's going to come, there's a lampstand there that illuminates the wall so that you, so that the king can see it and everyone around him can see it. And so watch, watch what it says here. I love that Daniel throws that in there. Everyone can see this. Listen to how Daniel writes this. Then, verse 6, the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way. And his knees knocked together. This is, seems a lot like the first time I went on a roller coaster, Okay. <laughs> as uh, someone was dragging me onto this thing, you know, knees knocking, pale skin, you know, shaking to death. But look at this. His knees were knocking together. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler. Why the third ruler, everybody? He's the, exactly. Good job. See, night class. I like it. Paying attention. Good job. That's right. Second in command. He cannot offer his own position as the king's son who's in, who's second in command. He offers third in command and you can sense his stress. All of a sudden, all, do you see how quickly pride can drain from somebody when something out of the ordinary pops up? See, pride is for people who really think they're confident in what they're doing. But all of a sudden, when something out of the ordinary comes into play, pride can drain out. And that's the imagery we get in this narrative from Daniel, the pride draining out of the king. Bring me somebody who's going to interpret these things. And then all the kings, verse 8, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing, or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and the lords were perplexed. Now, this is, this is a great little twist here. Watch what happens in verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and the lords, and his lords, let me get to where we are here. I, w- I want you to see this. The word, the word there, when it says the queen became, uh, because of the words of the king, it doesn't really translate that well, but the queen heard the screaming 
of the king. See, we just kind of glance over a little bit uh, and make it seem like she overheard. It's the screaming. She overheard the screaming that was happening in the banquet hall. And can I say something? Archaeologists have found what they believe is this banquet hall in Babylon, in Iraq. There is a actual banquet hall big enough to hold a thousand people, it says. Uh, you can look it up on Google if you want to, uh, that they found the, a banquet hall that they think would fit the description of what would be able to accommodate a party like this. And so now the king is stressed, and the queen, because of the hearings of the word, the screamings of the king, came into the banquet hall. And the queen declared, now who is this queen? This is interesting. Th this is definitely not Belshazzar's wife. And the reason we can pick that up is because who's with Belshazzar already, having wine and drinking and partying? His wives and concubines. This is the queen, the, probably the queen mother, probably the wife of, uh, of Nabonidus, and probably, as you can see here, the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And she comes in, and she has one of those old memories that pops in of the good old days. Okay, watch what happens as this story unfolds. The queen became, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Talk about talking up Daniel. This lady has a lot of confidence in Daniel's ability. Daniel's in retirement, okay? He's enjoying probably the life of somebody who has benefited from uh, being a higher up in the Babylonian empire, and he's even fallen so far off the map that even Belshazzar doesn't know technically about Daniel. Maybe he's heard stories about him, but this is the opportunity. This, the queen was so impacted by the ministry of Daniel in the past that she remembers him and says, oh, don't you worry, I know someone. I know someone who knows someone, okay? And look what he says here. Look what she says. Uh, verse 12. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. Notice what she calls him first. Do you all remember what his actual Chaldean name was? Belteshazzar, that's right. Notice she calls him first by what? His Hebrew name. That's fascinating. That she doesn't first allude to him based on his actual Chaldean name. He calls him Daniel, his Hebrew name. And so he comes. Watch what, he, watch what happens here. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, you're the, you're, you are that Daniel, the, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. 
Now, the wise men and enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make it known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of this matter. Let me, let me say this too. The writing on the wall that appears, this isn't some foreign language to Bel, uh, Belshazzar. This is his language. It's the interpretation of the language. It's the meaning that matters. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm sure most of these uh, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers that came in were probably quite nervous to interpret this, the interpretation on the wall. Usually it didn't end up so well for these people if they made a prophecy or, or interpreted something and it didn't come true. So they were always very, very, very careful with their words. Unless they were very confident about what it meant, they would never say anything. And so think about that. Daniel comes, and Daniel's going to do something only a great storyteller could do. He prolongs the interpretation. He's just going to let it hang out there for a long, long time. It's not to the very end of the chapter that we're going to see that Daniel finally gets to it, but he's going to maximize this opportunity that he has with the king to make his heart known which is great. Watch what he does. He's a genius. Literally. Look what he says. Uh, verse uh, 16. But I have heard that you can give the interpretation and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make it known to me its interpretations, you shall be clothed with purple, and, and he becomes third in control. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. And give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writings to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Folks, this is the centerpiece right here. This is the centerpiece. Because Daniel does something that only Daniel can do. He centers, he re-centers the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob around the history of Babylon and around the life of Belshazzar. Let me repeat that. He recenters the history of Babylon, which is a pagan empire, around what? The, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he's going to point right to Belshazzar and center the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob around him. And watch what he says. Listen to this. Daniel answered and said this before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Nevertheless, I will read the writings. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Who did? The most high God did. Not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did nothing. God put him there. I want you to think about that for a moment. Daniel is the prophet, the spokesman, for a God of a very tiny, tiny people. Do you hear what I'm saying? These people are so tiny that they've been captured by the Babylonians. Can you imagine? The, 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 the people who were captured are now standing there interpreting a, dream, a writing on the wall and saying, the God that you think is subject to you is actually the one in control of all of this. Okay? The God that you think you have subjected to yourself and you're drinking out of his vessels is the same God that controls everything in Babylon. Think about that. Talk about the audacity 
And so Daniel looks at him and says, it was the Most High who gave your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, think about this, all peoples, all nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he, that he dealt proudly, you see that? When pride came into Nebuchadnezzar's heart, look what he says. He was brought down from his kingly throne. That's what we just heard from Tom. And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind. And his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was that of a wild, wild donkey's. He was fed grass like an ox and was, uh, was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and set over whom he wills. Verse 22, watch this. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Belshazzar, this whole thing that you see is because the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, gave that to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave it to him. And Belshazzar, look what he says here. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the, vessel of, the vessels of his house you have brought in before you, and the lords and your wives and concubines have drunk wine out of them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. Do you hear that? Do you see how Daniel takes Babylon and recenters its entire history around the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And then all of a sudden, he looks at Belshazzar and says, your life, every breath that you have comes from the Most High God. Pride is what is going to destroy this empire. You know, let, let me tell you something. Pride says this. I built this. That's what pride says. I built this. But what does Daniel say? No, 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 no. Humility says what? God gave that. Do you see the difference? I built this. It's mine. God says, or in humility, God longs for us to say what? No, God gave that to me. It's a blessing from him. You know, pride says I'm in control. When humility says the Lord reigns. Pride uh, praises things that we make. Isn't that interesting? Pride praises the things we make. Gold, silver, money, wood, buildings, cities. Pride says that's something that we worship and we praise because we did that. When really it's humility that forces what? Our knees to the ground to praise the Most High God. And that is exactly what Daniel is trying to get at. And look at, we haven't even looked at the wall yet. Do you see what I'm saying? Daniel used this very opportunity to lay bare the, 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 the pride of the king. I wanted to read uh, something from C.S. Lewis here. He had an interesting quote that is going to pop up here in a moment. Let me find it. It was a great quote about pride. Here it is. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down 
on the things and people. Now look at, I know that we've been telling you to look down so that you don't trip over that thing in the back, okay? That's one way of looking down. Pride says this, pride is always having you look down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride is going to ruin Babylon. Look what it says here, verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent. And, and let me just say this. Uh, notice Daniel, what did I say? He recenters the history of Babylon around the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And can I say something? God will always recenter history around him. Let it be known. You know, we've done a very good job in history of taking God out of what? The government. We've done a good job of working to remove God from schools and, and, uh, and marriages and raising our children, but God will always find a way to recenter himself in history. That is the whole point of prophecy, everybody. As man looks to humanism, as man looks within himself, God is always going to make sure he's recentering history around him. To glory be God forever. And listen to what it says here. It, it, it finishes up. So now he's going to judge. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, which means to divide. That's where uh, Prime Minister uh, Perez gets his name. It means the divider. Uh, divide, divide your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And watch this. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, chains, the gold, the whole thing. Proclamation was made. Third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar and the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Within moments, God said, I found this kingdom wanting. I weighed it in the balances. Folks, I want to just remind you something. Pride is one of those transcendent, timeless issues. It wasn't just an issue the Babylonians dealt with. It's an issue we deal with today. It's in our hearts, and God reminds us, I've given you every single breath. It's in our political realm. It's in our churches. Pride is there. And listen, pride is one of those things you can't see until it begins to eat from the inside out. Can I remind you how you overcome pride? Remember your position. Belshazzar forgot his position. Many of the kings of Israel forgot their position. Your position is to serve who? The living God. As C.S. Lewis said, always be looking up. Always be looking up. Because that's how you'll know whether or not you have pride in your heart. Just remember that position. Remember your position. For more audio resources, including MP3 downloads of past prophecy conferences, visit us at foi.org.